0: From PI Media, this is Curious Minds. I'm Ran Levy. Heroes of Podcasting, a special series on the history and future of podcasting. This episode, Jay Soderbergh, aka The Podvader, head of content at Blog Talk Radio and host of Next Fan Up.
1: In terms of the large organization, it was selling the large organization that. This is the future of audio. Uh, And then a boss one day pulled me into the office and said, "We need to start doing podcasts." And I said, "What? What's a podcast?" You know, I still believe the death of radio is has happened. It's just taking its time getting that last breath.
0: Welcome to Curious Minds, In this episode we'll hear Jay Soderbergh, who started in podcasting way back in 2006. Jay's story is rather unique, since his first steps in podcasting were in the corporate world, whereas the vast majority of podcasters back then were independent creators. I met Jay at the offices of Block Talk Radio, where Jay is head of content. I should also mention, as a disclaimer, that Curious Minds is hosted on Blog Talk Radio, although, as you'll hear, we mostly discussed Jay's earlier career. We talked about the advantages and disadvantages of podcasting in a corporate environment, Jay's vision as head of content, and, of course, the origins of his nickname, The Fader. Enjoy the interview. Uh, my name is Jay
1: Soderbergh. I'm better known as Pod Vader in the podcasting community. I've been broadcasting for 24 years, podcasting for 10. Uh, I started my radio career, uh, at Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, as a, uh, as a young college kid, uh, just doing stupid college kid stuff on the college radio stations and, uh, was an intern at, uh, WFNX in Boston. Uh, and my first job out of school, uh, ended up at the Christian Science Monitor, uh, which was on NPR at the time. Uh, when they went, uh, bankrupt, uh, I, I went back home and, uh, struggled <laughs> trying to find my next, uh, career in audio because that was that I, I went to school to be a radio person. And uh, ultimately, I wound up at a place called CRN with writing ski reports and also got to voice some of the ski reports for the local radio stations across the country. Uh, that was an interesting job. And, uh, you know, instead of writing, what was fun about that job for me was, you know, you, you came in and they said, all right, we need you to write the ski reports for, you know, these mountains. I was in charge of Colorado Uh, New Mexico and um, Nevada. You know, I'm in Connecticut writing ski reports for these mountains. It's like, how am I supposed to know? So we got the weather reports and we got the trail conditions from the mountains. And we had reporters that, you know, would send in, you know, voicemails that we could edit up uh, and include in the reports but instead of just writing like strict information i used to write it in a theme so you know one day i'd write about you know uh, i'd put a wizard of oz theme in the ski reports and another day i'd put you know a, a cop theme on the on, in the theme so it was so i always made it a little bit more than just a ski report and uh
0: make
1: it fun right exactly and uh one of the voice guys happened to work at espn radio uh, and I said, hey, I see that on ESPN TV all the time. I don't listen. I don't I, we don't can't hear it anywhere around here. It's like, yeah, they have a few affiliates across the country. They don't have anything in Connecticut. Uh, and I was like, well, are they ever looking for people? You know, I, sports is something I love. And radio is what I went to school for. And he's like, yeah, they're always looking for people. Give me a resume. I'll I'll drop it off. And then it was about four months later uh, that they finally called and they said, Hey, we're, we're expanding our, our lineup. We're going to go 24 seven. Would you be interested in being the board op on our overnight show? And I was like, well, I, I don't have anything else going on. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then that started my 16 years at ESPN. And uh, from there uh, it evolved into different positions Uh, I was, uh, because I, I was, I had a strong production background from working, uh, with the Christian science monitor and from school. And so I started to introduce production elements that they weren't doing on the radio shows and really developing that and training some of the new people that were coming in and, you know, some of the technical aspects of production, uh, you know, ultimately becoming a member of the production team, uh, that they created, Uh, And then a boss one day pulled me into the office and said, we need to start doing podcasts. And I said, "What? what's a podcast? (laughs) And the boss said, I don't know, but we got to start doing them. And so I said, all right, well, I'll start doing some research. And when was that? So this was right around 2006, uh, the fall of 2006. Uh, And so I started doing some research. And at that time, uh, it led me to Adam Curry. Uh, and Leo Laporte uh, as those were the two main guys that I could see that were podcasting at that time or if somebody had asked the question what is a podcast they were the ones that were answering it and so I listened to their shows and listened to what they were doing and said oh all right I get this this is like radio on demand this is this is not uh, this isn't any brain surgery here uh, and so okay I've got it we're all set and I sat down in a studio and the first host came in and the first host said, you have no clue what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) And so I said, all right, well, let's create a format. All right. And so, and that's that's literally how it all started. It was just like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. What should I do? And I said, all right, well, let's try this. Uh, And so created the first format, which was, uh, it was for a football show. And uh, we did news and notes. An interview segment and then, uh, listener emails. Uh, and we followed that format, uh, for years. Uh, we obviously played and tinkered with it as the show evolved, but, uh, any other new show that I ended up producing and taking over, and I had my fingerprints on pretty much every show at ESPN when we were first getting started. Uh, over, at one point, I had my fingerprints on over 23 different programs and, was producing up to eight shows a day. You know, we we took that basic format and then we tinkered it and uh, twiddled with it for however we needed to do. You know, depending if it was baseball or or what time of season it was. If it was in season, we would talk. We would do some things differently. If it was out of season, uh, we would focus a little bit more on those interviews because we wanted to have more evergreen type content in the off season. In season, It had to be you know quick you know sort of reactions to the news of the day Uh, so that was a larger segment in season
0: out of season it was a smaller segment so you're quite unique in the landscape of early podcasters 2006 is early in that you didn't start as an independent podcaster if I get it correctly right right you started with ESPN correct so what was what were the challenges of starting a new thing new media Within a large organization, an established organization. So in terms, of,
1: in terms of the large organization, it was selling the large organization that this is the future of audio. This is the way that audio is going to be done in the future. And I still believe that. I, you know, I still believe the death of radio is, has happened. It's just taking its time, getting that last breath. Uh So so that was the challenge internally. Externally, it was still the same challenges as an independent podcaster has, especially at that time, because podcasts didn't really exist. Um, so yes, there was an inherent uh, advantage in that it's ESPN. So people see ESPN, they, they're going to click on it. They're going to expect the same sort of values that they get From watching ESPN, from listening to ESPN radio, you know, so you have to sort of live up to that brand name. But at the same time, in terms of growing audience and getting audience to to share your content and build that community, that's what it was all about. And and talk about building the community—that was something you had to sell internally as well. You know, telling the, the the bosses, the corporate suits, hey, this is a much more intimate. Medium. This the listeners feel like they're part of the show. We wanted as much listener interaction and engagement on the shows. One of the things we did early on, on one of our podcasts, the fantasy focus, which at the time was the largest podcast in the world. Um, a certain thing many people don't realize because ESPN is very guarded about their numbers. Um, but it was the, the largest podcast in the world at the time. And, uh, the audience to get their emails read had to say something unique about our initial sponsor, which at the time was Coke Zero. Uh, as Coke was starting, you know, their, their new Coke Zero product, uh, they decided to take a chance on, on this podcast. And so listeners would always write in, you know, Hey, Matthew Barry, um, I hope that you have, a, a smooth, refreshing feeling about this player, just <laughs> like that taste of Coke Zero. Uh, and as more and more listeners started to get the point that the only emails that were being read were ones that referenced Coke Zero, they started coming up with more and more unique ways to, to get that Coke Zero reference into their emails yes. uh, to smart. be read. Uh, and so um, it, it got mentioned in a, in, a, in a book, an early marketing book. At the time, uh, how we were doing that. Uh, and, you know, we tried to, to get some more sort of interaction that way on our Baseball Today podcast in the early days. Uh, Baby Ruth, the candy bar, decided that they were going to sponsor the show. Uh, but they wanted to do sort of like a, a they wanted to have specific content that that they could own. And so we said, you know, one of the things that people love to do is they love to vote in polls. Why don't we have a Baby Ruth Player of the Week? All right. And so uh our host said, "Hey, let's do one better. Let's award the Baby Ruth player of the week a Baby Ruth. Let's send them an actual Baby Ruth candy bar." And so these players were getting Baby Ruths and they had no idea <laughs> why they were getting these <laughs> these these candy bars. They're like, "Yeah, I got this candy bar and um so it became it, but it was one of those things where, you know, at the beginning of the week We started nominating players to be the Baby Ruth Player of the Week. The audience would end up voting, and then we'd have the big winner. And so getting that audience interaction with the uh, sponsor to do something that they do already inherently anyway. They're always talking about, oh, this guy had a great week. Oh, this guy was fantastic. Or this player is way better than this player. You know, making that all sort of organic and getting the sponsor to be connected to that type of content... Um, it became second nature where people just sort of started referring to players as a baby Ruth nominee, you know, uh, not even like, Hey, this is the best player of the week. It's the baby Ruth player. Um, So that was a fun time, uh, especially in the early days.
0: What were the mistakes you made in these early days that you look back upon? Now you say that was a mistake.
1: Uh, Mistakes that we made, um, not doing it sooner, uh, was definitely a mistake. I mean, even at that time in the fall of 2006, we were early, but we weren't the first. I mentioned they're very guarded about their information. They seem to be a little bit more forthcoming these days. Um, but not embracing the community aspect of podcasting right from the get go. I mean, ESPN could have been seen as a leader you know, could have been seen as uh, as, as a maven uh, of podcasting. Uh, and it's funny how many people I talk to today don't even realize that ESPN has been podcasting for as long as they have been. They never get any of the recognition of, you know, those early podcasters or even the size of their shows, uh, which are enormous. Uh, they They've been doing fantastic things. And Bill Simmons, You know now since Bill Simmons has left the company, uh, has created his own little network, and it's uh, I say little, uh, it's far from little. Uh, So uh, having the company not sort of understand that and realize that 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 was certainly a mistake in the early days.
0: Okay, so let's get to the point where you left ESPN. Why was that? When was that?
1: Uh, That was in uh, November of twenty well November of twenty fourteen. I joined Blog Talk Radio, and I'd left. Uh, espN in about mid-october um, and and really it was the opportunity to work with more podcasters to me podcasting is all about storytelling uh, and you can tell a story, whether it's sports, business, science, health, you name it, it's all storytelling. So, the ability to work with podcasters from all genres was what was most appealing to me. And Andy Toe, who's the general manager at Blog Talk Radio, is an amazing person to talk to. I mean, he, when he talks, you want to run through brick walls uh, for the man. Uh, so, uh, he sold me pretty quickly on, on what he was doing and what he was trying to accomplish with blog talk radio. And that was uh, something that appealed to me. It was the ability to, to sort of take a step up. You know, I was, uh, I was merely a producer at ESPN. I was not the guy in charge, even though I had been there for, you know, doing the podcast at that point for over eight years. You know, I was looking for the, for the ability to move up the corporate ladder, if you will. And while, Blog Talk Radio is is not necessarily a corporation. It was, it, it, it was a step up. I'm a vice president uh, of the company as the head of content, uh, and that was something that definitely appealed to me.
0: Let's talk a bit about the transformation of Blog Talk Radio itself. Now, if I understand correctly, Blog Talk Radio was a player, was present in the very early days of audio in the internet. How did it get involved in podcasting? So. Well it was always
1: really involved with podcasting but the concept of the company was more of a live platform to make uh to give a voice to the voiceless so to speak to, to allow anybody who could you know dial in on a phone uh to create a podcast and, and to connect with people from all over the world i mean that was sort of its original intention uh as the industry grew in, as the podcasting industry grew it's it sort of outgrew what Blog Talk Radio was originally intended for. And so Andy uh, took over the company as the general manager in 2014 and really changed the culture and the concept of what Blog Talk Radio could be. Made it more content creator specific to, to focus on that content creator and do whatever we could to make creating content easier for the podcaster. Uh, and so have, while the live platform is still something that exists, it's really uh, it's really just one aspect of what exists now. Andy's made sure to make it a platform that does many things. It's a hosting platform. It's a marketing platform. It's a distribution platform. It's a monetization platform. Uh, and that monetization uh, part is, is really one of our main focuses and thrusts as we're trying to get more money into the hands of the
0: independent podcaster. What is the main problem or problems that podcasting currently faces? Oh, there's so many.
1: (laughs) That's That's a question question that could take us hours. And I believe we've talked about it for hours already before we even started this interview. Um, But, you know, I think uh, one of the things that we always talk about is sort of the discoverability of, of podcasting. Um, but, but to me, it's not a discoverability problem for podcasting. There's plenty of places you can go to find a podcast. It's more the discoverability of finding my podcast or your podcast. Uh, that's, that's where the issue lies. And it's teaching, you know, it's teaching the independent podcaster, you know, who has to wear many hats. You know, when you work for a corporation, you wear one hat usually. You know, you might wear two or three, but it's it's very few. Uh, when you're working as an independent, uh, you have to be not only a great content creator, but you also have to be a great marketer and you have to be a great salesman and you have to uh, engage your audience in different ways through social media or however you can engage them. Uh, and doing all of that is something that's very difficult to do. And that's, again sort of one of the things that blog talk radio is trying to do, which, you know, I like to look, I, I call it the boring stuff, right? So we try and take care of the boring stuff, you know, represent you as a sales manager, uh, help you a little bit with your marketing. Uh, these are some of the little things that we're able to do to try and help that content creator. Again, focus on creating great content because there are phenomenal content creators out there that just need a little bit more help in sort of getting the word out about their show. I have a history of training. I've, I have experience in, 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 with things in terms of creating content that most people that are podcasting have never experienced. You know, most, most podcasters don't, didn't go to school for one to learn about podcasting. I did. Uh, I went to school to learn about broadcasting, but that gave me sort of my technical know how, you know, when it comes to production skills. Many, people that went uh that are podcasting um didn't learn how to tell great stories. I had all this experience and and worked with someone. ESPN had hired a a person to teach the talent how to tell a better story. Uh, and so that was experience that I had that I can now share with others. And that's sort of that's what I really want to do a lot more of. I want to be more sort of down in the weeds and getting my hands dirty and helping podcasters sort of share my experiences with them so that they can create better stories. There's so many that, you know, they ha- they're they on the right track. They just need that little nudge to get, you know, to get more straight, you know, take the right turn instead of the left turn. Um, and, and those are those are the things that I can help with.
0: One obvious question is where does the name Pod Vader comes from?
1: <laughs> so, uh, again, back in those early days, uh, I was originally part of the ESPN radio group. And uh, we were making a transition so that I was going to be in charge of all the podcasts. Uh, I, when I first started, I was only in charge of, you know, one or two. Uh, and we had other uh, people that were producing some of the other shows. Um When I came up with the brilliant idea of, well, why are we spreading out our time again, wearing multiple hats, bring them all to me. I can wear the one hat and and those other people can concentrate on some of the other aspects of their job. And, and there was one person who said, that's brilliant. <laughs> uh And so when I became the main producer in charge, Matthew Barry and Nate Ravitz, who are the hosts of the fantasy focus at the time, uh, who always like to give me. You know the business uh because that's I guess what a producer's there for to you know take the blows of the talent um decided well he, he's more than just a producer, we need to give him sort of a title like the producer doesn't isn't isn't just fitting, and so they started going over uh different names in there, like we could call him the podfather, and I said, well, no the podfather already exists, Adam Curry is the podfather. Uh, and then they, uh, and they said, well, you couldn't be the pod father anyway, cause that's too cool. Uh, you can't be, you can't be, you can't have a cool sounding name. It's gotta be something sort of dorky, sort of nerdy. Uh, and then one of the other hosts, uh, said, you know what he should be, you should call him pod Vader, uh, cause he's a star Wars geek. Uh, and, uh, they're like, yeah, that's it. We're going to call you pod Vader. And I was, cause you're evil. You're you're the most evil person in this room, and I went. Uh, All right, if you're going to call me Pod Vader, I'm going to embrace it, and you're going to see just how evil I can be. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's where I came from, and you know I I don't think I'm evil, but you know you could ask my talent. They just you know I the my job as the producer, and hopefully what I want to help and and do at a at a grander scale as the head of content is to to make the producer better and to challenge the producer and that's always why they found me evil because they would they would say things and i wouldn't let it go and be like no, no 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 no, you can't just say that you need to explain why you're saying that uh and, and so by continually challenging the uh the the host uh i was getting better content out of them uh whether they liked it or not
0: <laughs> you got it out of them exactly Uh, You're a podcaster yourself, right? I mean, now you're practically an independent podcaster yourself. First of all, give the name of your podcast, a plug maybe you are able to go to. (laughs) Uh,
1: My show is called Next Fan Up. It's an NFL talk show. Uh, What's unique about our show is we have one fan that represents each of the 32 different NFL teams. So I like to say I have 32 co-hosts on my show uh and you can find our show on blog talk radio blog talk radio.com slash next fan up or of course you can go to itunes or anywhere great podcasts are heard uh and uh and we talk about uh the nfl from the fans perspective you know one of the things that i learned uh when it comes to sports podcasting and, and i still believe this the the best mix uh of our football show was when we had a fan perspective, which was mine. We had an insider's perspective, which was Matt Williamson, who was a former NFL scout and was inside, uh, you know, the locker room and the business of the NFL and a former player. So we had his perspective. And when you combine all those different perspectives into one show, um, you, you were able to tell a fuller story. Uh, than you could on radio or on TV because you were only getting one person's perspective. We were only getting the players' perspective. You were only getting the insiders' perspective. Now on this podcast, we're giving you all three perspectives of the game that we all love, um, and it would and it would often differ. It, it there would always be some sort of conflict in terms of how we perceive the game as a fan and how the player perceived the game as a player and how the insider perceived the game uh, as a scout. So um, that was sort of the beauty of that show. And, you know, I still have access to, to insiders and to and to football players, but on this particular show, no other program gives you the perspective of all 32 teams at once. Uh, and that's sort of what we're trying to do. While the, there's a talking head at ESPN that will, you know, talk, you know, with authority about, you know, each and every team in the NFL, you you learn pretty quickly that you can't be a fan of all 32 teams. Uh, we present that sort of option on our show.
0: Who are the, the, the people who influenced you as a oh. maybe.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam Curry, without a doubt. Uh, I often like to say everything i learned about podcasting was thanks to Adam Curry. Uh, and I told Adam this, uh, when he was inducted into the podcasters hall of fame in 2015, I went and shook his hand and said, Hey, uh, I literally stole everything you were doing, uh, and incorporated it into the ESPN podcasts. Uh, so, uh, I'm, I apologize for bastardizing your dream. Uh, and and you know he he was very uh, gracious and he he said no just keep creating great content that's all i care about uh so adam curry i point to and i still point to every day um as someone that uh has influenced me tremendously you know some of the other podcasts that i listen to i um i love chris hardwick and the nerdist you know, again, it's a what I like most about that show is it's just him and his buddies uh, and or at least at times it's him and his buddies. It's also him and and doing interviews uh, in the early days when it was the three of them interviewing one guest. Uh, that was really the good stuff um, because it felt like you're, you know, you're in the bar and you're just sort of eavesdropping um, and, and they felt like they are your buddies. Uh, so I really love the Nerdist uh, podcast um doug loves movies is another great one that i enjoy listening to and that's sort of a live that you know one of the first live podcasts um you know where he's you know at the establishment and he he has a round table of of guests talking about movies um because he loves them uh and that's it's a fantastic show and you really feel the the camaraderie in that program uh and uh I still listen to The Fantasy Focus even though I don't produce it anymore. Um just because I think Matthew uh is a great talent. Uh obviously the the chemistry he had with Nate Ravitz who's since moved up the corporate ladder at ESPN uh was tremendous uh and something that was uh, very unique to that show and I think really what made that show grow over the years was just how unique and personal uh their relationship Uh, Was and how the audience could, um, uh, could relate to what they were doing. Uh, and I, that's, that is the magic of podcasting really is that relatability with your audience and engaging with your audience on a level that they, you know, they can sit back and go, Oh yeah, I, I do that too. Or, 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 Oh God, how can you even think that? What are you, what, what, what's wrong with you? Um, you know, that's sort of where, uh, that's when the magic happens in podcasting. And, and those shows are, are ones that I listen to all the time. Rob has a podcast, Rob Sesternino, who was a former survivor contestant and now does a podcast, um, about reality television, recapping sort of reality television. And he also created a network of shows that recap scripted, uh, television programs as well. Uh, he's a guy that I've become very good friends with and I listen to his shows all the time as well
0: where do you think uh, where do you hope sorry that you'll be in 5 to 10 years and don't be rational don't try to tell <laughs> oh, this is impossible where do you hope to be in 5 to 10 years I hope to be
1: uh, somewhere uh, in a secluded mountain area with my family uh, enjoying a nice large mansion of some sort uh, and and Honestly, producing podcasts, sort of acting as an executive producer of sorts where I can, um, where I can sit down and listen to a show and talk with that content creator about the different, uh, avenues that, that I would choose, um, in terms of creating the content that they're creating, uh, because that's, what i've done my entire career i was always a creator it was you know this didn't exist all right well let's make it exist it was you know it was taking that next step of of discovering and and making something out of nothing uh and and telling that story and remembering that it's a story and how the story flows with a beginning and a middle and an end and Riding that roller coaster and bringing the audience with you on that ride through the story—it's, you know, that's my passion, and that's that's really where I want to be. I want to be, uh, I want to be producing content on a on a larger scale.
0: That's it for this interview, for me. As someone who was always an independent podcaster, it was particularly interesting to learn about Jay's experience as a podcaster in a corporate setting. I wonder how would I get along in such an environment? I guess that having someone take care of the technical and marketing aspects of podcasting for you can be very liberating. But there's also the disadvantage of having to sell your ideas, as Jay put it, to the management of the organization, something that I never had to do, since, well, I'm the management. So would you rather see more indie podcasts with their wild artistic spirit, but maybe a lower production value? Or more professionally produced podcasts created by corporations and large organizations? Write to me at ran, R-A-N, at cmpod.net or drop me a line on the website at cmpod.net. Big thanks to Jay Soderberg for this interview. If you're an NFL fan, you should definitely check out his podcast, Next Fan Up, at blogtalkradio.com slash nextfanup. Tune into Curious Minds for more episodes in our series, Heroes of Podcasting and, of course, many other topics from the history of science and technology, software, medicine, genetics, engineering, and much, much more. You'll find all previous episodes on our website, cmpod.net, and on iTunes. Search for Curious Minds Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Curious Minds Pod, and on Facebook. Curious Minds are Kelly O'Loughlin, Co-host and editor, Nir Sayag is our sound engineer, Danny Moore is our business manager, and me, Ran Levy, producer and writer. See you again next week. Bye bye.